Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. After having taken a deep dive into the mind of the unregenerate person, the unsaved, um, the Gentile, as the Scripture says here, but really we've already established that there are just two categories, saved and unsaved. So we are looking into the mind and the condition of the mind of the unsaved in verses 17 uh, through 19. Today, we will be looking at verses 20 to 24 of Ephesians chapter 4, where we read this, and Paul takes a turn here, and he switches away from this discourse onto the unregenerate mind. And he says this, but that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So having looked at the idea that the unsaved have an unregenerate mind, as we continue uh, plowing through this section, recognizing that we have a duty to live according to the gospel, we now see in verses 20 to 24 that the gospel changes a person's nature. Our very nature is changed. And so we see, first of all, the way this happens is through knowledge. And Paul says this, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. And of course, the emphasis here if you couldn't tell already, is on the verb learned. And so we, we recognize that, that this transformational process, while it is a work of the Holy Spirit, is a work of God, it happens through knowledge. The Holy Spirit convicts us of truth, right? That's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so as the scripture is presented, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, which we all understand and know, as we're exposed to the word of Christ and, and the gospel, then the Holy Spirit convicts us of that. We're learning now. We're learning things that we didn't used to know about Christ or that we denied in the past. And as we learn about him, then he changes us. That's the incredible thing here. The root word for learned is the word from which we get our noun disciple. And therefore, we can say that it has much more to do than simply catechetical instruction, if you will, right? Catechism is this idea of asking a question and then teaching the right answer so that when you hear the question answered uh, or the question asked, excuse me, then you automatically just respond with the learned uh, answer to that. And so this this goes beyond that. To, to be a disciple uh, is to be instructed in all the ways of Christ, not just through knowledge, but through living and through life, right? So we could say that this is not the way that you were discipled, uh, that you could actually translate it that way. And then uh, the object of the discipling, right? And, and, and that's why they translate it learned, by the way, because then it would be awkward. That is not the way you were discipled 
Christ? Well, you'd have to supply that uh, preposition, you know, discipled in Christ. And so that's why they, they keep it as learned. But Christ is the object of our discipleship. He's the goal. He's the aim of what we are being discipled into and, and who we are learning about and the one who is changing us. And so when we talk about Christ, we're talking about God's anointed son, uh, no longer the prerogative of the Jews uh, to just only know the scripture, but now shared by the Gentiles. So when speaking to a true believer, there are certain core truths. And this comes out in this passage because Paul goes on to say, and he kind of has this, it's, it's not quite parenthetical, but he takes a pause for just a moment. He says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Wait, wait a second. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. And he goes on on this long uh, kind of uh, kind of discourse here. And so there are some certain things that we can say from this that Paul says, wait a second, I, I, I'm going to back the back the truck up, as it were. Right. I, I want to make sure that we're we're seeing eye to eye because there's a couple fundamental things that we ought to know. And by the way, we could just take out a notebook and write these things down. This is something that every believer ought to participate in. Every believer ought to share in these certain core truths. And the first is in verse 21, he says this, assuming that you have heard about him. When you hear the true gospel and then you hear Christ himself, not just about him, uh, that's what he's talking about here. This is what Paul is referencing in, in Ephesians 2 verse 17 when he says that Christ came and preached to you who are far off. In other words, it almost is so obvious that we almost could say it maybe doesn't need to be said, but it does need to be said that somebody can't claim to be a Christian and have never heard of Christ or can't articulate the gospel. So let's take it to that degree there and say, okay, well, maybe that's ridiculous that, you know, they've never heard of Christ. Well, I have experienced even in this town, you know, I'm not reaching back into the far past in some other city that I lived in in a long time ago in the very recent uh, past for me right here in this city that I live in, in Southern, uh, Southeastern Florida, I have met people who have called themselves a Christian. And then when asked further, because I I don't just take people's words at that. If if you say you're a Christian, I don't just say, oh, well, that person's a Christian. <laughs> I want to know what you mean by that. I want to know what it means to you to be a Christian. And I would like you to be able to tell me. And, and if somebody were to ask me that question, you know, if, if your response to me responding that way <laughs> is like, oh, he's mean and you shouldn't do that you know, put yourself on the receiving end of that. If somebody were to ask me, like, you know, if, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and they say, you know, are you a Christian or something like that? And I say, yes, I'm a Christian. And then their next question to me is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Am I going to get offended by that? Well, I can tell you this. I can't answer for you, but I'm not going to be offended by that. It's, it's a joy. It's a joy for me to answer that question. I love it when people come to me and they want to know more about Christ and about the Christian faith. And, and so I would just challenge you wherever you are to think, how would I respond if I had given somebody just a very short and concise answer, yes, I am a Christian. And then they followed up with, 
what does it mean to you to be a Christian and, and what is a Christian and how does a person become a Christian? Would you be offended at that question or would you be delighted in it? As a believer, as a Christian, I delight in, it, in that when somebody asks me that question. And so we, you can't always assume that somebody has heard about Christ, but what Paul is saying here is he's like, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm writing to you. You're in the church. I've articulated the gospel and I've just told you all the ways that the unbeliever thinks and how his mind operates, which is to say, this is probably a war that we're going to have, right? And he's going to write to the church in Romans about that. And so we know that there's a tension there. But the point is, is that he's saying, listen, that shouldn't that shouldn't be just natural. If, if you're if you're doing those things that he just articulated in verses 18 and 19, uh, well, the last part of verse 17, right? The futility of their minds, the darkening of their understanding, the alienation from God, the ignorance and the hardening of their heart and, and all of those things. If, if you're doing that and you are a believer, you are a Christian, then there should be some tension there. There should be some conviction by the Holy Spirit. What I'm doing is wrong. God's calling me to repent, uh, those type of things. And so I think that's why that comes here, right? Because Paul is saying, listen, the gospel changes a person's nature. And, and then he says, well, maybe I should back up a little bit. I'm assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so uh, we, we've got to make sure that we're all on the same page. Just because people throw out certain terminology doesn't mean that they're using it the way you are. I want to encourage you. Listen, don't, don't just believe everything. <laughs> you say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7? No, true love believes all things. Listen, th- you know that, that passage is talking about two believers who are operating in close proximity to one another. Uh, maybe one of the best illustrations is husband and wife. You know, I, I'm going to believe my wife. If she tells me something that I need to, I need in true agape love fashion, believe her and give her the benefit of the doubt. But if I'm talking to somebody that I've never met before and they just throw out a term and say, I'm a Christian, I should not assume that what they mean by Christian is the same thing that I see the scriptures uh, talking about as a, as a Christian. And I hope you see the difference there. And so Paul is wanting to clarify that, assuming that you've heard about him. And then he, he further says, and, and assuming that you were taught in him, uh, you know, they were not taught by Christ, but in him, uh, not that he is your teacher, but that he is the subject matter. You are immersed in Christ. Uh, those who declare the gospel and, and those who do declare the gospel have Christ as a foundation, or at least they ought to. And then he says that this is the only place where truth is found. So when he kind of goes off on this little sidebar, he says this at the end of verse 21, as the truth is in Jesus, listen, there is no other truth. It has to be said now that, you know, this was not a phrase 20 and 30 and 40 years ago. That's your truth. it, that's hard to even spend time uh, talking about. I can't believe we have to say this, but there is no such thing as your truth and my truth and their truth and his truth and her truth and that truth and this truth uh, with all and all regards to the same thing. There is one truth. There is one true and holy God. There are not many. 
and God is not however you want to define him, and that's your truth, and, and then this is my truth. There's No, truth is objective. Truth is, is one thing, right? And so he makes this objective, declarative, definitive statement as the truth is in Jesus. That is the location of truth. You want to teach truth? Teach Jesus Christ. You teach anything other than Christ, it's a different gospel. And by the way, it's the opposite of truth. It's a lie. It's not the truth. <laughs> and I hope that, that that's kind of obvious, right? The truth is only in Jesus. And, and, and Jesus said as much in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the truth, right? The way, the truth, and the life. Paul doesn't often use this name alone, uh, but when he's talking about this, you know, and by that, I mean the name Jesus, we think back to Matthew 1 verse 21. And in that, that's when the angel comes to Mary and, and says, you will call his name Jesus, giving the, the prophecy to her. You know, you will, you'll give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So when Paul singles out the name Jesus, apart from the office that he holds and the, and, and the function as the begotten of the Father, right, the Messiah of God, when he, you know, he leaves off Christ there and he just focuses on, on Jesus, he is connecting with Jesus' humanity, with his earthly ministry, and with the reason why he came. His name is Jesus because of the salvation that he offers. In other words, there is no salvation in any other person. There is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name except the name of Jesus, right? And so we, we've got to make sure that we get those things nailed down. All right, so we're, we're talking about the idea that the gospel changes a person's nature, and it does so, first of all, through knowledge. Had an excellent little discussion there. Let's see if we can at least knock out uh, this next point, and that is this, that uh, how does it do it? It does it through knowledge, but secondly, the gospel compels change in the believer. Okay, so now we move on from verse 21, and we go to verse 22, verses 22 through 24, and we say this, that the gospel compels change in the believer. And so he says, you know, that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard. So I've got to make all these qualifications here. But verse 22, this is the truth in Jesus. And this is what you learned. Here's the subject matter. And it's compelling us to change. Verse 22, to put off your old self. Now this becomes very familiar and comfortable territory in the New Testament. We remember we've been exposed to this in other places, put off, put on, uh, and, and, and Paul is going to use that many times. And so he says to the Ephesians, this is part of the gospel is that you put off from yourself your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Now he's going to connect it to the darkness of the Gentiles and the unbelievers, that former self, that former manner of life, which was corrupt and, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So he says, first of all, put off the old self. That old self belongs to your former manner of life. When you feel those inclinations, when you feel those desires, you have the power now because Christ is in you, because you have the Holy Spirit aiding you, because you have the power of the word of God, which is powerful. Remember, that's what Jesus used to fight temptation when he was getting ready to start his earthly public ministry. He he fended off Satan with the word of God. 
You have that now. So when you feel that and you feel those things talking at you and you feel, and they start in the mind, we're not just talking about the outward physical sins. They start in the mind and the outward ones too. Right. But he says, put that off. You have the ability to do that. And you have the ability to do that through your mind, which has now been regenerated through the word of God. Okay. But, but recognize that all those activities, that old self, that old person that belongs to your old unsaved way, that former manner of life. And that former manner of life is corrupt. That's the very wording that he uses, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. The, the things that the unsaved person desires, as wholesome as they may think they are, are not uh, engineered to go towards eternal good. The, the good that people do in their unsaved state is not uh, redounding glory to God. They're ultimately doing it for themselves, for some other purpose, but not for God. They can't say that they're doing it for God. They're deceitful desires. And so Paul says, you've got to be able to recognize that. And then he says, not only do you put off your old self, but now there is a change of mind. And look at this. It's all in the mind. This whole section is, is centered around the mind. I mean, back in verse 17, where we started all this, he says, now I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do where in the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding. Where's that? That's in the mind alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them. Where's ignorance that's in the mind. So he says, put all that off and then verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your, what is it (laughs) in your mind? So he says the new life, the regenerate life changes your mind. It literally transforms us from the inside out. And it starts right here in our head, in our heart, in our very inner being. And it works its way out. The verb here to be renewed means to make new, have your mind made new, allow the Holy Spirit, allow Christ to do this work in you to make you new. I mean, think about what Paul said in Ephesians 3.16, just the former chapter, right? The previous chapter that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in where in your inner being. To the church at Colossae in Colossians 3.10 and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge. There's that mind reference after the image of its creator. And then he says this in verse 24, and, and you can't, you can't start with a put off without having a put on, right? So this is the correlative. This is the opposite to uh, verse 22, the putting off. And now in verse 24, he gives us the put on. It's not just that we spend our life discarding things. We replace them with better things. Uh, Jesus spoke a parable on this. And he says, listen, you know, it's like a guy who cleans his house and he sweeps it out and there's no furniture, there's nothing in there and it's all clean. And, And then when he goes away, you know, the, the demons that were swept out and cleaned out, they find it completely empty and they go back and it's not just one. Now it's a whole party. <laughs> you don't just put off. You've got to put on as well. And what do you, what are we to put on in verse 24? Put on the new self. You don't do it all by your own strength. God enables you to do it. God is the one who's gifted you to do it. But this new self, 
is going to have a regenerate mind. This new self is created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. This new mind, this new self that he's called us to is able to pursue after these things because God grants that. He gives us a desire to be righteous. He gives us a desire for holiness, a desire to know his holiness, a desire to learn in his righteousness, a desire to grow in all of these areas. Listen, when we get down to the nitty gritty of those things of righteousness and holiness, that's foreign territory to an unbeliever. They're not desiring that. And yet Paul says that when we put on the new self, We're going to be after the likeness of God. He's created us after his likeness, and we now are desiring of righteousness and holiness, and he has granted that to us. Isn't that glorious? What a glorious, glorious truth to revel in and what God has done in the miracle of salvation. He has changed us. He has changed us from the very inside out all the way through and through, to the praise of his glorious grace. We'll leave our episode there today and we'll pick it back up starting with a new section in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.